This morning, we are going to be in the book of Titus. So if you'd like to turn there, Titus is a a short book, and it's kind of awkward, frankly, in the way that it's structured. There's not much of an introduction. It's like, let's go! That's, 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 that's Titus. And the message in here is, is very short. Titus was one of Paul's workers. And like Timothy, he was sent to help get churches set up the correct way. And we can, we can take a look if you want. I'll give you some references if you're somebody that takes notes. We're not going to look at all these places, but in 2 Corinthians, uh, Titus's name is mentioned a number of times in 2.13, 7.6, uh, through chapter 8, chapter 12.18. He's mentioned in 2 Timothy chapter 4. So we see Titus in, mentioned by Paul many times as one of his faithful guys. And so what I want to do this morning is try to work our way through or mostly through the first chapter this morning. And we're going to take basically a chapter a week for the next three weeks. We will be here again next week. And then the last week of June, we'll be back at the building. Okay, so two weeks from today, we'll be back at the building. Next week, we'll be here. And again, we'll have a a meal. So please uh, bring something to share um, if you would. Before we dive in, let's go to the Lord one more time in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth. So many confusing voices in this world. So many ways to go. So many ways that uh, our own hearts can pull us. And you are the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus. Your word is eternal. And it's trustworthy. And God, it endures forever. So, as we look to this, let's not look to this like we look to anything else. Any other story, any other teaching, any other person. We're looking to this as we're looking to you, God of very gods, King of very kings. And your word is life. So, Lord, we ask that you'd have your way with us and work in us in the truth this morning. For your name's sake, amen. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in His Word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. 
they must be silenced. Since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. (laughs) This testimony is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. There's a lot here. And like I said, it's like, ready, go, here. There's, there's not a lot of teaching. This is a very practical, okay, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to get it done, Titus. Go after it. Just to mention Titus a little bit, we don't know a lot about him. But the one thing we have to know about him is that Paul trusted him. Paul didn't trust anybody to God's work. He trusted the faithful. In fact, he told Timothy that he said, entrust these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others. So as somebody at the core of Paul's heart and uh, who is saved by grace here, Titus was trusted by Paul. He must have proved himself to be obedient in every matter. And he was just given this letter as instruction. Okay, here's how I want you to carry this out. There is some, uh, some, some, some good, hopeful theology in the introduction here, right? That we have hope of eternal life, that God never lies, that uh, Paul has been entrusted with the preaching of word, the word, and it's done by Jesus the Savior. But really, that's said to set up the work that he gives Titus to do. So this morning, what we're going to be talking about mostly is this work which is the work of appointing elders in the church. And there is not a lot said about elders in the church. There's really only two places that describe what elders look like in the church. This is one of the two places. The other place is in 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to take a look at that here right now as well, just to see the similarities. Okay, so if you want to turn back just a little bit to 1 Timothy chapter 3. His letter to Timothy is much longer than his letter to Titus, but in Timothy, he does give him instruction about elders as well. So this is 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. The saying is trustworthy, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil." Most of these qualities that Paul tells Timothy about an elder are the same as he tells Titus. There's a couple of things he makes a little clearer here, and then there's a thing or two he mentions. So 
he mentions here at the end that this that an elder must not be a recent convert. He doesn't tell Titus that, but I think Titus probably knew that, <laughs> right? Um, he he says that uh, he must be well thought of by people on the outside. Uh, that doesn't mean that the world approves. That just means other people can't point and say he hasn't done me wrong. That's that's essentially what he's saying about the world because obviously the world doesn't approve the gospel. <laughs> the world isn't going to be like, yay, church! <laughs> but you don't want a man in the church, leading a church, who lots of fingers from the world could point at and say, hey, that guy messed with me. That guy took advantage of me. That guy hurt me, right? That, that would not be a, a good situation. He also tells Timothy that the elder must be able to teach. He doesn't expressly say that to, to uh, Titus, but he does imply it. But as you can see here, the qualities are largely the same. So let's jump back to Titus. Let's walk through this list. All right, so he says, anyone is above reproach. Now, I want you to, 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 to keep this in mind as we go through this list. The purpose of the list and Paul's purpose in appointing elders isn't to keep people out of being an elder. Okay? That's not the purpose. In fact, the qualities here, men, I'm speaking to you specifically. The qualities here are actual, actually something that all men should aspire to. This, this isn't like super Christian acts like this, right? But the rest of you guys do what you want. That's not what this is. In fact, as we go through this, you should take note that there's a remarkable normality to this list. This should be the normal Christian life. All Christians, men and women, you should be above reproach. Now, you've done despicable things in your life, especially in your thought life. Every one of you. That should be in the rearview mirror. God has given you grace in those things. He has forgiven you of your past. When Jesus died on the cross for your sin, He didn't die for some of it. He didn't die for the the little innocent white lies, because there aren't any. He died for all of your sin. He has forgiven you all the way. Now, sometimes there's repercussions to our actions that continue to reverberate in the world, just like when you throw a stone on water and it keeps going and then there's a ripple effect. That can happen with our life and there's consequences to some things we do here. There is no jail in heaven. In heaven... There are crowns, there are rewards, but there's not like a naughty chair. (laughs) Okay? So, this list is for you to aspire to. To say, these are the kind of character qualities that I want to emulate not because I'm trying to be somebody, not because I'm trying to earn a position. In fact, it speaks to that because if somebody is doing it for the wrong motive, <laughs> then, they, they, then they're disqualifying themselves because they're not humble. So, we should do it with this in mind. Jesus Christ is our Lord. And God, the Father, sent him to save me. That's our motivation. 
That's the motivation for our character. So, when he says he's a, somebody is above reproach, again, it's not about the rearview mirror stuff, which is part of the reason that, that Paul tells Timothy that somebody should not be a recent convert, because a recent convert is just as forgiven as somebody who's been walking with God 20, 30 years. Just as forgiven. Somebody who's been forgiven, the thief on the cross, was just as forgiven as you. Okay? But, we need time, because we're not God, to prove that out. Right? To show that God has actually forgiven us. That He's actually done His work in us. Because, the world doesn't know that. Well, there may be some, there ought to be actually some remarkable repentance that happens. But still, time will prove it out. Remember, there's four kinds of soils. First soil, it's a path, nothing happens. The second soil, it springs up very quickly and then goes away. The third soil, also grows up, but then gets choked out by life's, life's worries, riches, and pleasure. And then there's the fourth soil, which is the good soil. And that's not said here, but it's implied. That's what we're waiting for. Right? That's why we, we make sure somebody's not a recent convert. So, somebody's to be above reproach. What does that look like? What does above reproach look like? It means that nobody... It's not that nobody can say you've never done anything wrong. Everybody would be disqualified. <laughs> but it would mean that your life is, is lived in such a way that people can't continually bring charges <laughs> about things you do wrong. Right? That's, that's not possible because you're living above board. And if you do wrong, guess what you do? You repent quickly and you ask for forgiveness. And you don't live in sin. Right? You live for the Savior. So, it says you should be the husband of one wife. That literally is a one-woman man. That's what that means. What does a one-woman man mean? Does that mean just because you've married somebody and you've never asked for a divorce, does that make you qualify? No, because there's plenty of men who live a wandering life even though they're married. It doesn't mean that. What it does mean is that your eyes are fixed in one way to that person that you are with they're not wandering eyes. You're not looking for something different, something better. You're not trying to scheme. And I want to say this as an aside. Now, I know that there are pastors that will disagree with me on this. Okay? I know that there are. I don't think that this excludes somebody across the board, without exception, if you've been divorced. Let me explain. Let me explain. In the case where you have been in a divorce, and it was before you came to Christ, I don't believe that you would be held to this one-woman-man standard because you have repented of that, and if you are married now, if you are a one-woman man, and again, I don't think you get married, I don't think you, you're converted, six months later you become an elder. That doesn't make sense. I don't think you're divorced, and six months later you become an elder. doesn't make sense. But there are cases where people who've had divorce in the rearview mirror, sometimes it was while they were in the world, and sometimes it was even while they were in the church and they were abandoned by their wife. 
Now, that's hard. And in the moment, I would not ever say to that guy who is in that situation, hey, you know, let's, let's give it three months, six months, nine months, and then we'll, we'll make you an elder. That's not enough time. There, again, has to be a proving ground. There has to be a healing. There has to be a time where somebody's brain gets, you know, reset, right? I don't have a magic number. I'm not going to throw one out. But if somebody has proven themselves to be faithful over time, they can still be a one-woman man. Now, some of you might have questions about that, and if you want to engage me about that later, please do. I, you know, if you've talked to me at any length, you know I'm not loosey-goosey about divorce. Divorce is ugly, it's bad, it's sinful, it's wrong. We should not desire that. Okay? Even in the worst situations, there's other ways to handle things. But the scriptures do say if somebody abandons, if the unbeliever leaves, let them go. And then I don't believe if the scripture teaches that, that we should later shackle somebody because of that very thing. But they are to be a one-woman man. Well, we'll also address this. Some people think that an elder has to be married because it says this. I don't believe that either. I believe that that's if somebody is married. (laughs) They are a one-woman man. There are people, like the Apostle Paul, who probably was never married. And so, if God gives you a particular gift of singleness, hey, God can use you in that and call you in that and use you as a leader in his church through that. So, it doesn't teach that you have to be married. Nor does it teach that you have to have children. When it talks about children here, it's if you have children. Now, if you're married, children are a blessing from the Lord. It's a good thing. We should desire that. We should desire to to honor God and, 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 and fill the earth just as he called Adam and Eve to do so. But it's not going to knock somebody out from being an elder if they don't have children. All right. It says, not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Well, what are those things? Insubordination, that's pretty easy to figure out if you've ever been in the military. (laughs) What does that mean? You're not following your commanding officer. Who's our commanding officer? Christ. Christ is our salvation captain. So we ought not to be disobedient to the commander. We also ought not to be disobedient, disrespectful to those over us in the Lord. Right? What about debauchery? Debauchery means that you've kind of abandoned all common sense when it comes to your sinfulness and you're just living in it. I don't care. Right? It's just this, this, I I don't care what people think, I'm going to live in the sewer. In the way that I'm thinking, in the way that I'm acting, that's debaucherous behavior. Now, when he's saying that, he's not saying that about the elder, because that's obvious. The elder himself shouldn't be living in that. That's obvious, right? It says his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery. If somebody doesn't manage his own household well, he tells Timothy he cannot manage God's household. Doesn't mean your kids have to be completely perfect, but it does mean that your kids obey, that your kids listen that your kids don't live for the things in this world. That they are honoring God, they're honoring their parents, which means that the parents are teaching them, doesn't it? The home is the proving ground, the training ground for church leadership. 
The home is the, the proving ground and training ground for church leadership. So if somebody doesn't lead their home well, hey, we shouldn't put them in charge of something more important. And that's not to say that the, the home is lesser, lesser important. It's just lesser impact because it's one family versus a number of families, right? Now, here's what it goes back to say about the elder here. Verse 7, this word overseer, that's not a word that we, we hear often, is it? Do you ever think of your boss at work as your overseer? I mean, when do you ever hear that? Unless you're watching a, 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 a documentary or a movie on slavery, that's when we hear that word overseer, right? It sounds real heavy. Well, that, that word overseer can also be translated as a word that we don't maybe see as heavy. That's a kind of a, what we call a religious word maybe. Bishop. It's the same word. An overseer as God's steward, must be above reproach. Now, that word bishop, overseer, can also be translated presbyter. Presbyter is where we get the word Presbyterian from, which is a group of overseers overseeing God's work together. It's two words in Greek put together, Epi, and I'm going to butcher the last one, it's episcopus. And it literally means with something like this, upon the watchman. Upon the watchman. This word scopus, that it's a compound word, episcopus, this scopus part, what, what, what English word do we get with that? Anybody here a hunter? What do you put on top of your rifle? You put a scope. That's where we get that word. Right? What does a scope do? It allows you to watch things closely. You're able to narrow in. You're able to see. That is part of the work of an overseer, bishop, presbyter, elder. It's not to do that with a critical eye, but it's to do that with an eye to see what is going on, both to the good as well as to needing correction. That's where that word comes from. So God's overseer, God's scope, God's watchman, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant. He must not be quick-tempered. So he's going through a list here of all the, the negatives. I don't want him to look like this. I don't want him to walk around going, I'm an elder, so listen to me. Right? God chose me for this. That's, that's ridiculous. All right? He... Arrogance will kill, because if you're arrogant, you're not able to see your own heart, your own self. Your, and, and as God calls us to do this, He also calls me to do this. Right? i got to look at me. i got to examine myself. i got to make sure I'm right before God. First, it's like in the airplane, right? you got to put your own mask on first <laughs> before you're supposed to help somebody else. So, must not be arrogant, must not be quick-tempered, you know, must not be eager to fight. Let's, let's have this out. No. Must not be violent, and must not be a drunkard. I've been doing some research into this. What does it mean to be a drunkard? And <clears throat> pastors... A lot of pastors say that a pastor shouldn't have any alcohol, right? I've heard that, and I've heard other pastors say no Christian should ever have alcohol. 
And if somebody wants uh, to live by that, that's great. That's uh, to, to personally make that decision, to say I'm not going to have any alcohol, I think that's, that's a good decision. You know, that's, that there, you, it'll, it prevents you getting in trouble that way. But to say that the Scripture teaches that that's the way it has to be is a whole other thing. So there's this group spread across the Mediterranean back in this day, back in Paul's day, and back on this island, which is Crete, which is off of Greece. On this island, there is a temple. That temple is dedicated to the worship of a god, and I'm going to use a small g, called Dionysus. I'm going to read you something about what it says here. Dominant among the traits of Dionysus is his anti-structural character. In cult, he is associated with rituals and festivals of reversal. Myths tell of his foreign origin and surround him with his own crown of monads and satires, ecstatic women, sexually aroused and frequently drunk, animal-like males, free from the bonds of ordinary behavior of the genders in Greek society. Behavior of the genders in Greek society. Now, understand this. Part of worshiping Dionysus was getting drunk. That was part of the ritual activity. (laughs) They'd get drunk, and they would have a free-for-all. And they would do all manner of nasty things. And so this was part of what they called worship. So when Paul is teaching Timothy, when he's teaching Titus, this is what I want you to have an elder look like. I don't want them to be a drunkard. He says, I don't want them to be associated with these guys. And that word drunkard, by the way, it means, you could literally translate it, not spend too much time with his wine. That's what it literally can be translated as. To not spend too much time with his wine. Which is a different thing than saying, you may never have a drop. Now it's interesting that it says here, no exact time, it doesn't give you a time. It leaves it open, doesn't it? In, in to, there's some freedom in there. With freedom comes responsibility. With freedom also comes some danger. Right? And there is a line that only God knows exactly where it is because he gives freedom. He does give freedom here. He doesn't say you can have one drink or you can have three drinks. It doesn't say that. He says... Do not spend too much, do not have somebody as an elder who spends too much time with the wine. Enough said. It says here that somebody is to not be greedy for gain. Why are you doing this? Why do you want to be a shepherd? Is it to be thought of well? Is it to get paid? Is it to be important? Or do you desire a noble task? Do you love God? Do you love God's people? Somebody who doesn't love people, and I don't mean you have to be an extrovert, but you do have to love people. If you don't love people, you should not be a shepherd. And that's hard to assess as well, isn't it? Because there's no exact meter for that. What does that mean? I know what it looks like when somebody doesn't love people, but where on the line do they love people? Right? I guess it starts if somebody says, I don't really like people. Okay. (laughs) 
That makes it pretty clear. And I've actually had guys in ministry tell me that. And I'm like, whoa. Then I think you're in the wrong business. (laughs) It says that he must be hospitable instead of being greedy, instead of being uh, a drunkard, instead of being violent. He must be hospitable. And we say, oh, that's nice. That means he makes lemonade when people come over. Well, it could mean that. But in the time that this was written, you know what that meant? That means somebody that you don't know comes to your house and says, Hi, I'm a Christian like you. I need a place to stay for the night. Oh, and there's my family at 10. We're hungry too. Can you help? That's what hospitable meant in the first century. To open your home to strangers. Now, we live in a a little bit different society today, but God's heart's the same. We shouldn't be foolish. We shouldn't just, uh, especially if you, you have children at home, I don't think we should allow just anybody into our house and carte blanche and say, here's a key, have your way with us. Right? However, what's your heart on this? And what, is, what should the elder's heart on this be? It should be, hey, I love people enough, I'm going to trust God, and I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to do what I can. It was interesting. I'm going to throw somebody under the bus here, but I don't even remember their name. So, hey. Tina and I were traveling um, to Virginia a number of years ago uh, for my graduation from seminary. It was my first graduation. And uh, we, we go to there, and, and we're at a church um, on Sunday morning, and afterwards I'm talking to the elders and told them, hey, I just finished my first two years. I got my MA. I'm going to go on and finish my MDiv. And they said, oh, that's great. They said, anytime you need a place to stay, just let us know. We can get you hooked up with somebody here. And I said, great, because I'm going to have to come back to take a class sometime. So, sure enough, I kept the guy's phone number. I called him up about four months before the class started. And I said, hey, remember me? We met two years ago, and you told me that I could stay with you or you'd get me a place to stay while I'm coming to Lynchburg. I don't know who you are. I said, remember, I told you, like we had a couple, I'm not even going to say the other people's names, there's some people we commonly knew. I said, you remember I was with so-and-so and blah, 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 and no, I don't remember. <laughs> I said, well, I'm a, I'm a pastor of a church here in Kansas, and um, you know I think we have the same theology, and blah, 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 and no, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to help you out. <laughs> okay, I got a hotel room. But it's not all about me, but I, I'm just saying, you know, I'm like, it's interesting what people will say in a moment, maybe to make themselves look good or feel good, versus what they really follow through with. And guys, if I, if I you know, pass away today and you need to find a different uh, elder to lead the church, find a guy who loves people. Yes, they have to know the truth. Yes, they have to be able to teach. Yes, 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 yes. And then all the no's too, right? But find a guy who loves people. You can't, you can't find somebody who fits all the other qualities and say, yeah, you know, he doesn't really care about people, but he fits all the other things. Because he blows it then. He doesn't really fit any of it. Because the shepherding business is about being with sheep. We're all sheep. Amen? Amen. Okay. So, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. You heard me say this a hundred times. I'm going to say it one more. It's not my opinion that matters. This is what matters. If God says something, 
I don't have the ability to go, I'm going to edit that. Right? This is what matters. And so, yes, somebody has to love people, and yes, they have to be able to hold to the truth. Somebody doesn't hold to the truth, they have no business in God's church as a teacher. They may, that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also may be able to re, rebuke those who contradict it. Now, why does he say all that? All right. Well, I'm going to say the obvious here. He doesn't just pull this out of a hat or out of a vacuum. Yes, elders are important. Yes, elders needed to be set up in Crete. Yes, it hadn't been done yet. But why do you think he rushes into his letter like this? Because there was a problem. There was a problem. And so the reason he says that he must give sound instruction and rebuke those that contradict it is because of the very next things he says. For there are many who are insubordinate, (laughs) empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced. So what are they doing? We don't, he doesn't exactly spell it out. We don't know exactly know what this is about. But let me help us think through this for just a minute. Okay, so I'm going to have you turn with me to a couple places. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any doctrine, not to devote themselves to myths and to endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. Okay, so that's one place. Now turn to chapter 4 in First Timothy. Verse 6, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourselves for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. All right? Now turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. These are all just different warnings that Paul's giving. 1 Timothy 4.3 For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, will they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. One more place. Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1 is more general. Verse 16, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. I want to turn to one more place now. Galatians chapter 4. beginning in verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you 
in vain. We don't know exactly what controversy is going on here. He doesn't exactly spell it out for us. But we do know it's about myths. We know it's probably holding some either superstitious ideas and holding some festivals as important in order to be right with God. Or in holding some rituals to be important to be right with God. You know, the Galatians believed that men needed to be circumcised even if they were Gentiles to be right with God. It could be something like that. We don't know. But I can tell you this. Jesus Christ died for our sins. If we believe that He came, that He was born of a virgin, that He died that he rose again from the dead on the third day, we will be saved. If you believe that he stood in your place for the penalty you deserve for your sin, you will be saved. And it's not about a day, it's not about a myth, it's not about a ritual, and, but that's what was going on in this church. Now, we have different stuff we're dealing with in the 21st century. But there are plenty of people who propagate myths. The whole... Uh, I'm, I'm leaning a little bit out there to say this, but I'm going to say TBN is created on it. it it's propagated on you've got to have this extra thing. You've got you to do this. There's... The health, wealth, and prosperity gospel stuff can be an add-on to your faith. Throw it away. We need to stick to the Word of God. And so that's what Paul is central message here in Titus chapter 1, is we need elders in place, but we don't have them just to have a role, to have a title. I know that there's, there's places, there's churches that teach there's two kinds of elders. There's teaching elders and there's ruling elders. I don't see that in the Scripture. I do see that in practicality, all guys are gifted differently. And some guys are better at teaching than others. Some guys are more equipped for wisdom than others. Those kind of things. And that's, that's, that's practical reality. But all, 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 all people who call themselves elder or who are called elder, who are called overseer in any way, need to love God, need to love His Word, need to love people, need to keep themselves from the world. He tells <clears throat> Titus to have these elders make sure they do their job so that these false teachers, these people that are going around and ruining families so they would be rebuked. So that sound faith may remain. And he goes on to the end here, and he says, To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their minds and their consciences are defiled. This is a warning it's a truth. It's also a warning. Here's the warning. Once you start giving into false teaching, once you start giving into doing things that are worldly, your conscience gets seared. You can't even think right anymore. This happens to people that sit in churches every week. You've got to be careful. Which is why God says, hey, have these guys be like this. Make sure they're on the lookout. Right? It's not just a boardroom position. It's somebody who's part of your life. It says these, these ones that propagate the myths, the ones that teach false doctrine, they profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. You know what Jesus said? He says, you'll know a tree by its fruit. 
You know a tree by its fruit. We must be diligent with our own lives, careful to say, hey God, where am I at? Where am I at with this in life? Where am I at with my, my anger? Where am I at with my greed? Where am I at with my... Remember, this isn't just for elders. This is for everybody. Because these are good character qualities that God aspires everybody to have. But then, as this church grows, and as the need for more elders grow, these are the kind of men that we need to have in this place. Men that love God, love you, love the Word, able to use it rightly, able to rebuke those who don't, to keep Christ's church pure. Amen? Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for the, the, the solid, true word that you give us. Thank you, God, for those gathered here who I love. And thank you, God, for continuing to sanctify us in the truth and mature us in the truth. Thank you for the church and what it is. It's, it's your family. It's not an institution. It's a family. And families work together. They struggle together. They grow together. Please keep this family pure. And we ask that many, many uh, new births would happen and they'd be part of our family. I'm not just talking about little kids. I'm talking about believers, that they, people would be born again and that we can be part of the, the process of, of helping them. And God, we pray that Your Holy Spirit would continue to guide us, to convict us, to give us wisdom. Lord, we, we want to honor You. And as an elder in this church, I pray that You would use me this way as well. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.